Welcome to the Forward 40 Podcast, where we highlight the experiences of 40 women of color on the rise in the nonprofit and social enterprise sectors. This is an ode to our foremothers, a healing circle of our unique experiences, and a bridge of insight and wisdom across generations. back everyone to another episode of forward 40 very excited to have our guest with us today she hails from southern california new to me um the epicenter of women's football uh, and now she's growing in the sports development space in south africa uh, she leads monitoring and evaluation and the, for the sports for good um initiative at laureus so welcome cindy mendoza Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be with you today. Thank you. Um, so I was, you know, drawn to your work um, as someone who has worked in community development and began to learn just about the interplay of all of the different facets of what it takes for a community to thrive. And sports and recreation is one of those key things that sometimes um, if you're not an athlete, it, it just doesn't resonate with you as something that could actually um, help to build the ecosystem of a thriving community. So thank you so much for just lending your your voice and your experience to this platform. Can you share more about your journey to South Africa and the intimate relationship that you have with sports? Um, yeah, so sport has has and still plays a, a crucial role in my life. Uh, it's given me access to different opportunities like education and being able to travel from a young age um, as I was afforded scholarships on club teams and after I was a collegiate athlete um, in college. So I was able to go to, to university because of sports, um, able to study abroad and still continued playing sport. Uh, and later, my journey took me to Spain to work in education and startup businesses. Uh, but I often found myself longing to pursue a career in my passion, which is community development and sport. Mm-hmm. So really brainstorming how I could bring that career to life. I decided to quit my job in Spain in 2015, and I moved to South Africa to start mm-hmm. my master's degree at the University of Cape Town. Um, and it was while I was at doing my master's degree that I was then afforded the opportunity to start um, an internship at Laureus, mm. um, which is one of the key role players in the sport for development space. Interesting. Interesting. Thank you. Um, so uh, quite the journey. And, and I just love that you you know, went from your experience here in the States and in U.S. transitioned to Spain. Also love Spain. Uh, Barcelona in particular for me. <laughs> uh, and then found your way um, to, to, to South Africa and to study in Cape Town. Um, I know when we initially spoke, uh, there, there was a draw for you. Um, specifically about South Africa and wanting to study there. Can you just share more about um, like why you felt that that was a, a great transition point for you to be in the space of sports and community development? 
Yeah. So I think South Africa is a beautiful and complex country. Um, and with the complexities, if you look at development work, uh, there's a lot of organizations that are focused on sport. And it was particularly the challenge um, that drew me to South Africa as well as the country. And I told myself that if I really wanted to explore this my passion and as a career that I think South Africa is the best place to do so. And mm. the program that was at the University of Cape Town and some of the professors that were working there um, really drew me to to pursuing it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, South Africa is definitely on my list. Uh, I'll make my way there. I've been able to, um, I traveled to Kenya first when I was first um, on the continent. Uh, I've been to Morocco uh, and Ghana is definitely, definitely has always been on the list. That's the um, the honeymoon location <laughs> for me and my <laughs> husband. But we had to put that on hold uh, because of everything that's going on. Um, and yeah, South Africa is definitely there. So um you know, your work in the monitoring and evaluation space, I um, I had a reflection on the very first class that I took in graduate school on monitoring and evaluation, and it seemed to have a very international development focus. Um, and most of my most of my classmates uh, were also focused on international um, development. And I was at the time, you know, just focused on domestic social policy. For those that are not familiar with just the the interplay of monitoring evaluation, like, can you just share more about what it is and why it's important in the nonprofit and community development space? Um, yeah. So, you know, I was passionate. I've always been passionate about community development work, as I as I mentioned. And what I often found when I was working at these different organizations is that it's a lot of faith based work mm-hmm. um, and not necessarily religious, but just simply that I want to do good. So I'm doing good, mm-hmm. um, but not. Um, and that's kind of what first drew me to it. And m and is, is a useful tool. Um, I like to say that it's a tool about what's working and what's not working. And most importantly for organizations, it also demonstrates the amazing work that's being done on the ground. Mm. Um, and what makes it really important is to make sure that all services that are being offered, so whether it be by government or whether it be by local organizations or even corporate sometimes that choose to do um, invest in programs to make sure that they're impacting people in the way that um, they wish to serve them and that they wish to impact their lives. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I think lastly, I think what really draws me about like monitoring evaluation is that it's a learning process. So it's how do we learn from what we're doing? How do we improve our work? Um, and yeah, that's ultimately what monitoring and evaluation aims to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, th- thank you for for sharing that it's a learning process. Um, because um, I guess for those that <laughs> may not necessarily be in like a data focused space, um, and maybe just on the program management side or development side, um, sometimes that piece of like monitoring and evaluation it can send off signals of just. Um, oh, maybe this is going to be too invasive or it's kind of like tests, you know, that what we're doing isn't working. Um, and what you're what you're saying and what you shared is that it's more of a, a learning process. So so definitely more um, more of a, a, a journey. 
and, and, and a tool to just measure growth on a continuum versus just like a casting of judgment of, of a flaw, so to speak, um, in the system. And in some instances, it, it does uh, reveal, <laughs> you know, that there, uh, that there are holes in the operations or um, in the program management and development. Uh, but I, I like how you shared that it's, it is a, a learning process and a learning tool. I I was doing deeper reflection just on sports development and not um I'm definitely by far not an athlete. <laughs> um I I enjoyed recess and play as a child. Um and then, you know, even as as an adult, just being able to do things that are active as simple as walking, right? Um and I recall that it was a couple of years ago, I attended an event um, by the New York Women's Foundation, actually. And it was in the Bronx, um, my hometown <laughs> and home borough. And uh, there was a, a panelist who is a professor and also a filmmaker. And she was sharing more about her work, a documentary that she did uh, called Little Sally Walker. And it explores, you know, black women across multiple generations and um, like recalling their power and refuge and pleasure in just the act of play. And um, I, I that that concept of play kind of stuck with me. And I just wanted to know... Um, from you, like, have, how have you seen this concept of play show up in the global context of your work? You know, um, play is a, a form of expression, peace and health. And how have you seen it show show up in, in the work um, that you're doing in South Africa? Yeah, so I think particularly in the time that we find ourselves in with COVID-19 and and this pandemic, you know, a lot of children are, are at home um, with their parents. Um, some of them don't have parents that are at home because, you know, they're essential workers. And often some of them are playing, um, whether it's structured play or just being children. Um, but often in the context of my work in South Africa and in other countries, um, play is is also a privilege for mm-hmm. some children mm-hmm. because not all children have have the platform or the spaces to be able to play, Mm -hmm. which really fosters like a lot of creativity, both, you know, um, cognitively, as you mentioned, like physically, emotionally, when children are able to play, um, it really benefits them in a positive way, Mm -hmm. you know, to form healthy relationships, um, as well as even the ability to make better decisions. Um, but yeah, so in the context of, of, of the work, there's both structured and unstructured play. And through the organizations that we fund at Warius specifically, we're granting kids this opportunity, you know, who might have, might not be able to do this at home mm-hmm. or um, might not be able to do this on a daily basis. And I think what I really has been refreshing to see during this pandemic has been that, um, a lot of people have taken play online mm. and how do we give access to children, um, online or even through creating worksheets that they could print out, um, and sending them to different communities because access is sometimes a challenge, Absolutely. but still ensuring that kids are kids and that they play because of of the the benefits that you spoke of that it has. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
I didn't know that. Thank you for sharing that. I didn't know that um, there was an integration of um, play online. Um, that's that's really good to hear. Um, and also, thank you for mentioning the point just about access and you know privilege to to play and into sports. Um, you know, it's been very pivotal in your journey um, to afford you greater opportunities in education, but then also in work. And um, there, there's also like the safety issue, right? Um, that there, while there may be, like, I, I know that um, in my uh, former neighborhood, uh, like while we had a park that was like immediately right there, uh, the conditions on the playground were not conducive to safe play, right? The swings weren't, you know, were long overdue. Um, <laughs> they safe, <laughs> they right? were not safe at all. Um, and then even, you know, just for the elders, because we also, um, in, in my neighborhood, there's also um, an aging, um, aging home. Uh, and even for them to want to go and explore and just sit, it just didn't like even the benches. Right. So, um, while there may be like the physical spaces that are there, it's also just like the quality and the upkeep that make it conducive for safety and healthy playing. Um, and, and also just this, um, this boot, this boost, um, just in the, um, the full on quality of life for that, that given neighborhood. Um, um, so they think, thank you for raising that point. Um, I, I, because I have not (laughs) been to South Africa as of yet, um, could you give us a visual of what, I guess the, the spaces for play look like? Is it, you know, like on the fields, is it, um, more um kind of like pre predefined or you know like what what does the the landscape look like for 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 play and for, and for sports yeah so um it's it's quite interesting that you brought up the point of your park like in your neighborhood and you know being an american and finding myself in south africa um actually realizing that a lot of a lot of space, like there's a lot more similarities that we share, um, Mm. than what really sets us apart. And I think one of them speaks to spaces. So Mm. in the communities, um, that a lot of our organizations are based in, there isn't space for play and they, you know, sometimes the, the spaces that are there are not always conducive for play. Um, but a lot of our organizations actually create that safe space. So they either, some of them, have it and they either partner with local government um, and are able to, to use these facilities um, to make sure that they're kept, that they're um, up to standard so mm-hmm. that children can play and that are safe. Um, but it really comes down to who has resources and who doesn't have resources. Um, in a lot of communities, there isn't fields and kids have to play either on the concrete mm-hmm. um, or are just playing wherever they can. Because um, I, I do think that's like even the beauty about play is that children and in South Africa, there's a saying like they always make a plan. Hmm. Um, and I think kids from a very young age learn that, um, concept because they always are so creative about spaces where they do find a play. Um, yeah. Thank you. Um, 
it's good it's good to hear kind of uh, the the similarities um and then also just the the inherent um creativity and agility for um cultivating those spaces that may not necessarily be predefined um or or structured in the way um that one might uh imagine i know that sports is a very heavily male-dominated um, space in terms of leadership, in terms of, you know, like on the field and the, and the court. How have you been able to bring your gendered experience to the space? And um, have you found that there were like certain resources or, or, um, or support systems that helped you along your journey in your career? Um, yeah, I definitely think that this is still a journey and in a process. Um, but specifically, I think something that really speaks to me with this, with this topic about gendered experiences, learning and embracing how to be your authentic self within the sports space. Um, and what this means to me is like, I've always, I was always that person that loved to dress up and wear heels, but I was also the person that, you know, loved to wear my sports clothes and play soccer with the boys, um, and, you know, speak up about social justice issues and learning to embrace this, this lived experience wasn't always easy. Mm. And there was times and where my knowledge or my skill at the sport were questioned because of that. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, to tell myself that other people's perceptions of me, is really none of my business and like really embracing that. Um, Lisa Nichol once said that, and I, it really just stuck with me. And as I said, it's an ongoing process. Um, I do think that because it is very male dominated, um, we have to accept and, you know, work through these experiences, um, but learning how to embrace to be our authentic self. Mm -hmm. Um, and then just some very practical resources that I've found helpful is really like reflecting on my strengths, but as well as my areas for growth and being like quite open and transparent with myself about that. I really love Brene Brown's work. Um, specifically she has one, uh, activity called the thinking path. Hmm. which walks me through four steps, um, like thinking, like how I'm thinking about a situation, how I'm feeling, what my actions will be in my results. And it's really helped. Um, it's helped me navigate the male dominated space. And then lastly, um, something that's really helped me recently is a coaching program that I formed part of, which focuses at empowering young women in the social impact space. Hmm. And, working through growing, connecting with other women that are facing similar challenges to myself, um, has made me feel connected and, um, empowered to kind of take up space. That is great. That's great. Now, how did you come to find, um, cause I know we were talking about this, you know, um, that there like this, you know, creating a pathway for uh, women's leadership and specifically women of color leadership. Like, how did you come to find um, the, the the fellowship that you were a part of? Yeah. So, I mean, in the ideal world, we'd want organizations and businesses to be creating these pathways mm -hmm. for young women of color um, that demonstrate potential. But I think the reality is that 
it's not happening at the rate that it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's being proactive about, um, well, for myself, it was being pro- proactive about three things. Um, one of them was looking for mentors and supporters. Mm-hmm. Um, so adding people on LinkedIn that I found interesting, um, taking an ish- initiative to reach out. I know it seems really scary. Um, <laughs> sometimes like, why are you reaching out to me? But just, you know, both reaching out to both male and females, Mm -hmm. um, to just create mentors and supporters of people that have been leaders, um, and just experiences that they could share with you and just kind of take you under their wing. And I found that when I started to put myself out there, um, that it was really well received. I mean, it's not always right. Um, sometimes there will be people that won't answer you Correct. or <laughs> don't have the time, um, mm-hmm. or aren't interested, mm-hmm. but, um, then there, there will be people that are, and I've been able to connect with, with great people that have, have helped me to create that pathway of what leadership look like for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second one would be, um, and, and this one is like when opportunities present themselves to like, grasp them with both hands. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and I say this because, you know, sometimes we, we doubt ourselves or we don't know a hundred percent of what we need to know to be able to deliver. Mm -hmm. So we won't necessarily raise our hand for that. And ultimately in the long run that could, you know, take away that pathway for you on what leadership would look like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and the last one, I think, um, to share with you is realizing, you know, there are going to be critical points when the pathway that you're currently on isn't leading you towards a leadership position and looking at your end goal in mind, asking yourself, okay, like if this isn't the pathway that's going to lead me to a leadership position or a position of influence, then what do we have to look at or what trade-offs do we have to look at to making this a reality for you? Mm -hmm. Um, and this is something that I've recently, um, found myself in at this crossroads. Um, and whether that means leaving uh, your current organization, um, even though you might love the work, But, um, yeah, and I've recently resigned from my job and I'm taking on a new leadership role within another organization. Um, so that's also sometimes what a pathway might look like. Mm -hmm. Well, congratulations. Congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, so I want to, um, like journey back to the point that you made about, um, Like when the spaces aren't that like within your work environment where it's not cultivating that, you know, seeking out those opportunities externally um, and they can be as simple as a Google search or looking on LinkedIn. Uh, But then also, you know, like tapping into your internal network to figure out um, maybe they're aware of people within their own networks um, that you may be able to, to leverage those contacts. Uh, I remember when we, when we first spoke and you were talking about, you know, just that leap to, work in a startup space in Spain, then resign, (laughs) then to, you know, take another leap and go to South Africa. And then now another leap, um, as you've, you know, done self-reflection and assess what your end goal is to move on to greater leadership. You know, like I commend you for that. That is not, um, 
not, not something that can be overlooked. Um, it is truly uh, evidence of authority and power um, and confidence that you have. So I, I truly, truly commend you for that. I know that there are quite, quite the number of women of color that may feel especially stifled right now uh, because they were probably on this cusp of, all right, I'm ready. And then now with everything that's going on are feeling that they have to remain stuck um, in their current situation, their current uh, role or position or the organization. And I just hope that, you know, with, what you have shared um, and just hearing your journey that they are inspired to chart the course um, and to have that end goal in mind and not be discouraged. Yeah. And it's, it's scary guys. I'm not going to sit here and lie and and say that it's, it's not scary. Um, It is. um, And when you do take that leap, like it doesn't, it doesn't get any less scarier. um, (laughs) But (laughs) so, yeah. That is so, so true. It's not, um, it's not a, oh, I took the leap and then everything got easier. It's, you know, the, the, um, like there, there is a, um, there's a scripture that says, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. Right. So, uh, as, as you are growing in your, your leadership, there are going to be greater opportunities that present themselves that are going to appear as though they may be too lofty, too large, um, and figuring out ways to overcome that and to face it head on for your own growth and the growth of your family, the growth of your community is going to be very, very um, important and pivotal on your on your journey professionally and then also in life. Kind of connected to that, this um, moment that people in general have of, I haven't figured it out yet. Uh, (laughs) And um, is, you know, like, is this thing that I'm doing right now uh, it? And how do I, how do I figure it out? Like what have, what have you done and tapped into in those moments of, okay, I have this end goal in mind um, and maybe I don't have it, you know, the, the it perfected. What, have, what, what has encouraged you to keep charting um, your path? Um, yeah, so I think specifically looking at that um, is, is looking at one, like kind of speaks to the other one is like looking at my end goal in mind, but just literally sitting down, um, by myself and asking myself, okay, like what if, you know, creating scenarios in my head about maybe opportunities or things that, um, I'm looking for, um, asking myself, like, what is drawing me to this? Mm -hmm. Um, is it going to serve me in the way that I need it to serve me? And you know, where, what, where is this going to take me? Um, so asking myself those key questions, um, because I always feel like we have the answers inside. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes Mm -hmm. we look externally for them and that's not wrong. Like, you, you know, sharing experiences with people, I think is so powerful to learn from. Um, but just digging inside and asking ourselves those key questions. Um, yeah, both mentally and spiritually as well. 
Yes. Um, it's thank you for, you know, that, that point of looking externally is not a bad thing. Um, but the, the truth is really within us. And, um, that's the, the thing that sometimes feels scary, uh, for people, <laughs> uh, because either the truth hurts, has the potential of hurting or disappointing just because it may be unconventional, especially if there have been people along your journey that have hoped that you were going to achieve X or Y and what you know deep down inside, that's not necessarily your your path and, and, and your mm. passion. The the external can definitely provide insight, but the, the internal for sure, once you're you're doing that deep work to really figure out and um and own your truth. Uh, that that's where the the freedom lies. So, Cindy, like I, I'm really grateful uh, that you have been able to lend your experience to this platform and to be one of our forty. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Especially also to be uh, the the first guest that is actually um, lending a global context um, and uh, currently positioned on another continent in another country. I, I hope that uh, for those that are sports enthusiasts um, or just either nurturing um, the, the younger generation or even the elder generation, right? Just in, in play and sports and development uh, that they'll know that uh, they're not alone, um, that there are leaders like you that are in this space just as representation because representation truly, truly matters. Mm, um, yeah. And uh, that they also take those individual leaps to, um, to broaden their networks to, to further their own, their own growth. Um, so I guess with, with that, uh, we close with the, tea affirmation so what would be your tea affirmation for our listeners yeah I think mine would be um it doesn't matter how small or how big your step is when you choose to pioneer you move the world forward mm. and I and I saw this at a TED talk um it was a TED talk from Gabby uh Natalie um you know so don't be afraid to be the first mm. at, at something mm. um yeah, that that's definitely what I'd like to say. Thank you. And then that pioneer. Uh, so fun fact, um, my undergraduate alma mater, uh, Smith College, uh, the mascot is actually a pioneer. <laughs> really? Uh, yes. It is. It is. And it's the image of a, uh, a woman and, you know, her hair is like a, a flame of fire, just like blazing the trail. Um, so I definitely support you with that, (laughs) Uh, with that T affirmation, you know, don't be afraid to, to be the first, um, how can people stay connected to you and just the, the work that you're engaged in? Yeah. So, um, please feel free to add me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm quite active on LinkedIn, love LinkedIn, or they can always send me an email as well. Um, but I usually post quite a lot on my LinkedIn about, the work that we do or any opportunities um, and just a way to stay engaged. Well, thank you. Um, All the best to you and your family. Thank you, Amani. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Until we connect again. Sip, sis, selah.
share, and continue to serve.